You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Direct from our central London studio, here's your host, Lori Havelock. This week on the Ticker Podcast, Neary's new IR qualification, banks and ESG disclosure, and some tips for how to fight an activist wolf pack. Welcome back to the Ticker Podcast. It's your weekly roundup of the top stories from around the world of investor relations. On this cold October morning, I'm joined once again by three of IR Magazine's finest, Tim Human, Condice de Montpetit and Garnet Roach. Good morning. Hello, hello. hello. Um, Well, this week saw the advent of Back to the Future Day, or uh, in case you missed it, the date that Marty McFly travelled to in the second Back to the Future film. Um, Obviously, things weren't quite as the filmmakers predicted. That would be pretty impressive. There were no hoverboards or cool-looking metal hats, to name a few things. But they did get a lot right. Um, Drones shooting for news teams, that's one thing they very accurately predicted. Um, Wearable technology, of course, uh, Marty has the talking coat that tells him what to do. We're not quite there yet. I don't know if I could handle a a coat that criticizes my every call and uh, video calls as well obviously something very close to investor relations professionals um, and it also casts Biff who's the series protagonist as a maniacal businessman with some very strong political opinions and uh, presidential aspirations which sounds pretty pretty far-fetched to me what about you guys is there anything else you think they got on the nose in that film or anything you're waiting still to happen well, I think everyone's a bit disappointed that the, the hoverboards haven't come about. But I did see a video online of someone who'd taken one of those new segways, you know, where they don't have the bit that you hold. It's just oh, the, this, yeah. the bit under your feet. And then they'd redirected it so it moves like a skateboard rather than straightforwards. And so it was pretty close to a hoverboard. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. It's still you not could, hovering, crucially, I you guess. Can kind of, you can kind of imagine <laughs> that you're on a hoverboard. Yeah. Yeah. And it, they added some flashing lights to it and things like that. And you're gonna get, are you going to get one yourself? I mean, it's one of those things. I saw a video of it on YouTube. I'm not quite sure how, how readily available it is, but definitely going to do some Google searching. Aren't they um, illegal to use anywhere? That was in the news last week. They are now the they, Segway yeah, ones, aren't they? Yeah. You can't use those things on the pavement or in the road, so... Great fun at home. I saw someone fall off one in really spectacular fashion the other day, and it really made me happy. <laughs> it's not a very nice thing to admit. That's really sad. I wanted to get one and, and, <laughs> and take, use, maybe it, if you're going, use it on my daily commute. Maybe if it's in the right orientation, the skateboard orientation will be less, less critical to him. Or, Tim, you could try uh, the, ma- the mad scientist uh, hairdo. It was pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, the Doc Brown, yeah, that could, yeah. That could work. Instead of a hoverboard, <laughs> just get a new hairdo. I haven't been to hairdressers for a while. I think I'm getting close. Yeah, I just yeah. need to sort of shove yeah. it all up in the air a bit. I wasn't going to say that, but... Then if we don't hand in our features in time, you say, Hello, McFly, is there anyone in there? <laughs> Hello, <laughs> Garnet, Condice, anyone in there? Condice, I think you should say that. <laughs> Well, uh, anyway, now we're actually going to look a little bit into the future and see what might be awaiting IR teams in the upcoming proxy season, and that is activists. Garnet, what have you found out this week about activists? Well, so IR Magazine uh, sat down with Ian Robertson, Vice President of Communications at Kingsdale Shareholder Services, and he talked about how shareholder activism has evolved and offered some tips on how to handle activists ahead of our free webinar this Wednesday on October 28th. Activists are becoming increasingly sophisticated in their approach to companies, he says. Gone are the days when the young graduates from the top business schools wanted to work on Wall Street at the big banks. They now want to be an activist. What this means is that a lot of innovative, top-level talent is being attracted to activist funds. And these activists are also taking an increasingly thoughtful approach, putting in more research and seeking more constructive engagement, he says. 
For IR professionals, he says, quote, this raises some good questions about how you manage that engagement. Is it the same knee-jerk defensive action you go to, or is there another approach you should take? Kingsdale also noted wolf packs in its research, says Ian, with activists increasingly joining forces to get into a stock. And this presents yet another challenge as IROs could face a number of different arguments from different angles and different activists with potentially different goals. These issues highlight the importance of both knowing who is on your share register and engaging with shareholders, even during difficult times. He says, quote, shareholders don't want to hear from you just when times are good. They want to be confident that you're on top of things when times are bad, which is often when CEOs and directors don't want to have to answer the tough questions. Ian also offered some tips on being prepared for an activist. Companies and IR professionals need to make sure they're essentially thinking like activists, he says, advising IROs to identify any weak points in advance. Get right down to the little details, he adds, citing the example of Olive Garden when Jeff Smith of Starboard Value presented an almost 300-page report that included recommendations on breadsticks and sauce recipes. He also advises IROs to ask themselves the difficult questions. For example, uh, where do we rank uh, against our competitors? Um, Are there innovations uh, in terms of operational uh, innovations that we should be considering? Um, What are the peers, what are the best-in-class peers doing that we should be looking at? Because these are all the kinds of things activists will be looking at. Even if um, your share price could be generally in line, if there's other levers uh, that can be pulled to create value, uh, activists will identify those. So our advice to boards is think holistically, look really uh, deeply at your company, Activists are going to talk to not only your shareholders, they're going to talk to your competitors, they're going to talk to former employees, they're going to talk to employees of the other guys, they're going to talk to customers, and they're going to have a really detailed understanding of your business and where efficiencies can be found. We'll be concentrating on all these topics in our upcoming webinar, Certainty and Uncertain Times, How to Survive in a World Where the Market is Down and Activism is Up. Yes, as Ian and Garnet have let us know, you can attend our webinar online for absolutely free. It's next Wednesday, October the 28th. Um, it's being held at 9 a.m. PDT or 12 p.m. Eastern Time or 4 in the afternoon GMT. That's London time. A number of the topics that he and Garnet have just discussed are going to be discussed in even more detail. And the team will be joined by Wes Hall, who's the CEO of Kingsdale Shareholder Services, to discuss all of them in more detail. And one of those topics, and another one I'm sure will be on the radar of a lot of activists, is the, um, the U.S.'s pay ratio rule which tim i think you have a bit of an update on this week yeah i thought i'd pick out a couple of pieces of news um uh, this week to talk about um first of all like you mentioned a a return to discussing the u.s uh, pay ratio rule um for those of you who haven't heard of this uh, the u.s companies are going to have to produce a ratio that compares the ceo pay to that of the median employee uh, with first disclosures are expected in uh, 2017 Critics of the move are trying to build some momentum against it, uh, perhaps hoping there can be a successful legal challenge to it before it comes in. Uh, And there's been a survey about this recently, is that right? Yes, uh, a new survey of board directors um, out this week by BDO, the uh, professional services firm, has helped to highlight some of the criticisms. Uh, Three quarters of the respondents say they don't think the disclosure will be of any use to investors. This is the official purpose of the disclosure, to provide useful information to investors. So if investors actually don't find it useful, then that does call into question uh, the point of it. Of course, this is a survey of uh, corporate directors, not of investors themselves. So we'll have to wait and see what uh, investors say in a separate survey. A much smaller proportion of the respondents, about 10%, say they are worried about the external reactions, the negative PR that could come about from having to release these ratios. That's quite a small proportion, given the potential for bad publicity there. Yeah, I think what we see here is that board members are are targeting the question of is this useful to investors, that's perceived as the kind of weak spot of the new rule, and that's what they're focusing on. 
I'm sure in reality, much more than 10% are worried that they have to put out this ratio, which says how much squillions more dollars their CEO makes than the median employee, then, you know, there is going to be some negative publicity from that that's going to be problematic for them. What was that figure you just gave there, Tim? Squillions. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's um, most CEOs measure their, their pay in squillions, I think. <laughs> This is an area we're going to continue to watch closely, of course. Um, The advice for companies from consultants at the moment is this is due to happen. You know, it's been passed by the SEC. First disclosure is expected in 2017. And so companies need to start preparing for it. And for IROs in particular, they need to start thinking about, you know, how to craft the messaging around it. Could be challenged in court, but we'll have to wait and see about that. And you said you had another story. What else caught your eye this week? Yeah, one other thing I wanted to pick up on was the news that there's a new campaign by institutional investors to get banks to disclose more about climate change. Uh, We've seen a lot of pressure on oil and gas companies, of course, over their disclosures and their strategy in in this area, as well as pressure on their shareholders to potentially divest from fossil fuel companies. But this group of investors has turned its attention to banks. So it's done a study of the world's 61 largest banks and found, it claims, that none are measuring their carbon footprint and that many are failing to conduct climate-related stress tests or assess the carbon risks of their lending and underwriting. The study was carried out by Boston Common Asset Management and the coalition of 80 institutional investors manages $500 billion uh, of assets in total. Are there any good models for um, disclosures in the, in the banking sector? Well, if you work at a bank and you're interested in what kind of disclosures these investors are looking for, uh, the study includes a list of the best, quote, climate management firms, as it puts it. So you can look at those, those companies. Notably, the top two banks are both Australian, uh, Australia's Westpac Banking Corporation and uh, the National Australia Bank. Um, Australia is, of course, involved in a lot of mining, a lot of resource activity. And so this has probably pushed these banks to look at their impact on the climate a bit earlier than some others. Yes, I suppose it's not a sector you immediately think of when you think of uh, climate change and a big carbon impact. But there you go. Supposedly it is. How much of it as well might be to do with their, their own investments and what, they're, what companies they're supporting in turn? Well, I think it's just, there's just general pressure on all companies um, at the moment over climate change and, and banks, obviously, because of their heavy involvement in the financing of what everybody else does. You know, they, they sort of come under the spotlight in this way. Well, next in the spotlight it is uh, Neri, um, thanks to Condis, who's been looking at their much-awaited certification program. Uh, Condis, what have you found out there? Well, yes, welcome to the Investor Relations Charter, um, which is um, actually a bit, a bit different from uh, all the other certificates out there. Uh, once you've passed the exam, you need to get recertified every three years by earning 30 professional development units. So that makes sure you're keeping on top of any regulatory changes, for example. Can anyone who wants to be an IRO uh, take and pass the exam? Well, no, you need to have uh, some work experience, although it doesn't need to be an IR per se. It can be in a role related to the IR profession, as it said on the brochure. And so applicants need to have either a bachelor's degree and uh, three years experience or six years experience. And what exactly are they going to be studying? Well, candidates are given a 250-page body of knowledge that includes uh, 10 different disciplines. In short, it's everything you need to know about the the day-to-day IR role. And that's apparently um, about 100 hours of studying. Sounds like a bit of a long haul. Definitely, definitely more hours of studying than were involved in my undergrad degree, I think. Uh, what would the exam look like as well? It's a 200-question test that candidates have four hours to complete. And uh, it will be offered twice a year for a two-week period. And what's also new is that the exam can be taken um, internationally. As near CEO uh, Jim Cudahy says, quote, Well, the IRC program will use U.S. securities law as its basis. NERI will offer the exam at testing centers throughout the world. 
We do not know yet how many investor relations practitioners will register for the first IRC exam, but the enthusiasm in the States, as well as in other locations around the world that I've visited over the past several months, has been clear. And what about that all-important IRC designation that was announced? What, what news about that? Well, yes, for sure. Charter holders will be able to add the acronym IRC after their name on their business cards. How posh. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure a big plus for um, IRR career development. Absolutely. I mean, I, I always feel very jealous. I don't have any letters after my name at all. Is there an easy way that I can get some? On the internet. Uh, Condis, are you the, are you the only person in the room who has an IR certification of some kind? Yes, indeed. But um, I don't think you can, you can add CIR to your name. You can, you can add MIRS if you're a member of the IR Society and thus have paid uh, X amount of uh, pounds each year to belong, belong to the society, which isn't my case. I mean, yet. And interesting, on the subject, I, uh, Michael uh, McGough, who uh, is, I think, one of the vice presidents in the area, was, was speaking at the, um, the A-Bird conference in Bulgaria. Um, and he was, he was saying that the thing that they're most excited about is the, the remote testing that you mentioned, Condice, and being able to, uh, for potential IROs to turn up at any centre over the world and be able to take this test in theory. So if you have, for places like Bulgaria, which are a bit far flung and don't have their own certification in place, it's, it's a really, really easy way to get a qualification without you know, having to travel a lot or you know, go to university somewhere. It'll be interesting to see how this sits uh, alongside the new uh, sort of tier two of the IR Society's IR certification, which they're planning at the moment. Um, It hasn't hasn't really been announced in any detail yet, but they know it's something they're working on. And they have a number of international partners in terms of their certification too. And so there'll be, you know, potentially two... um, sort of beefed up IR certifications out there for people to think about. Maybe it'd be a good feature for one of us to go and do each of these exams and find out which one's the hardest. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I love exams. <laughs> 100 yeah, hours all, of study. Yeah. Who wants to volunteer first? I think we all would, wouldn't we? Any takers? Well, I know that I'd have to do a lot of swatting up anyway, but thanks for joining us, guys. we just run out of time. Um, we will be back next time. Do remember, if you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at editorial at irmagazine.com, follow us on Twitter at irmagazine, and, of course, all the latest stories, news, etc. will be on our website, irmagazine.com. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining me again. Um, we'll see you all next time, I hope. No one's off away on holiday, are they? Don't think so. I'm not making any commitments, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> you might be here. Well, thanks, thanks anyway, guys, and see you next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.